First Metrosec is providing this podcast as a general market commentary. Reference to any specific security, product, or entity do not constitute as an offer or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The statements, comments, views, or opinions expressed by the hosts are subject to change without notice and First Metrosec is under no obligation to update, amend, change, or correct any of the statements, comments, views, or opinions expressed. The statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view of First Metrosec. First Metrosec disclaims any liability arising from reliance on or reference to any information obtained in this podcast. Podcast Network Asia. You are listening to First Metro Securities Philippine Stock Market Weekly Podcast, where we feature timely and relevant discussions on the Philippine stock market and the economy in the hope of providing you investing and trading guidance. Here's your host, Royce Aguilar, from the Research Department at First MetroSec. So, hello everyone, welcome to another episode of our Philippine uh, First Metro Securities podcast. So we have here a special guest, right? As part of this uh, reputable property consultant. But before we introduce our guest, let me tell you the performance of the listed property names here today. So this is as of October 11, 2021. Okay, but actually before I discuss the performance of listed property names, it's, a, it's an interesting fact that the property sector in the PSE is the laggard sector. If you talk about the performance of the share price of the property index, it's down by nearly 12%, right? So basically the property um, sector is the laggard amongst sector performance. So just to mention, so for example, the financials are up nearly 6%, industrials up 12%, holding firms down 5%, services sector up by 27%, mining and oil up by nearly 4% and the PSI is flat, right? Down by just 0.2% as of October 11. So now, let's drill down to the specific property names. So we can see here, as part of the property index of the PSE, there are 11 names. We have here Ayala Land down by 12% year-to-date, BRN down by 2% year-to-date, CLI up by 29%, CPG up by 1%, Fly down by 1.8%, IRC down by nearly 16%, MEG down by 26%, RLC down by 23%, SMPH down by nearly 9%, and VLL down by 23%. So let's discuss the notable outperformers and notable laggards within the property index. So for your CLI, just like I mentioned, it's up by 29%. So it actually reported a record high in reservation sales for the first half. It even reported Today, that it sustained its record high reservation sales in the nine months of this year, right? So there's this sustained housing demand in its geographic scope. So specifically, Cebu remains to be the company's biggest market. Iloilo and Cagente are not far behind. So basically, that's the main reason for the outperformance of CLI. It continues to see record levels in the first nine months despite pandemic disruptions. Okay, so let's talk about the, the notable underperformers in the property index. Of course, the notable ones, the big companies, Meg, SMPH, Ali. Of course, we, we know that there were quarantine restrictions back in the second quarter of the year. So revenues were weaker than expected. Of course, mall revenues were, were the most hit. 
as the segment struggled to recover faster due to mobility restrictions back in second quarter. Okay, so the last segment is the REITs. I would like to discuss the performance of our REITs for a REIT share price up by thirty six percent for a REIT DDMPR down by nearly seventeen percent, Phil REIT up by four percent, M REIT up by nearly ten percent, and RCR up by six percent. Okay. So for Edit, of course, there were this news of asset infusion that you know drove the value of the company up. And then for DDMPR, of course, the underperformance can be attributable to the relatively high exposure to POGOs compared to the other REITs. And there's this thing that DDMPR's properties are grade A, but you know they're not PESA accredited yet. So another thing is other REITs are also spread out to other locations while DDMPR is 100% located in Pasay as of this moment. So this is, you know, concentration risk that investors are taking into account. That's the performance of the listed property names here to date. So this is the time I introduce to you our guest. He is from Colliers Philippines. He's actually Colliers Associate Director for Research. He covers residential, office, retail, leisure, and industrial segments and conducts macroeconomic analysis and regularly assesses the impact of economic growth on the real estate sector. He even handles client engagement through market overview presentations to equity analysts, property investors, and real estate firms. He has become quite a familiar face in the local and even regional real estate news circles as his reports have consistently been cited by national news programs and major broadsheets. So he, he also writes his own column in the property section of the Philippine Daily Inquirer, sharing his insights and expertise on the most pressing issues affecting the real estate sectors. We have here Mr. Joey Boddock, Associate Director for Research in Colliers Philippines. Hi, Joey. How are you? Hi, hi Roy. Good afternoon. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So this is the time. So I discuss the performance of the property names, but let's look at it at a bigger picture. Actually, I, I, I saw your featured articles in the website of Colliers Philippines. So the reports there are thorough and I even encourage others to read it as well. For listeners in this podcast, especially for those who have not read your articles, before we go deep into the outlook, because that's that's what we want to ask you about later on. First, let's talk about the past. How do you evaluate the property sector as a whole, specifically the office, residential, hotels, industrials, more than a year into the pandemic? How much recovery were you able to see, if any? Definitely, we can't deny the fact that the property sector has been affected by the pandemic. What we can tell you is that every property segment, so I have office, residential, retail, hotel and leisure, as well as uh, industrial, were affected. But one segment is not as affected as the other. So you have, for instance, the leisure sector, which was severely uh, disrupted by this COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, in 2020, if you look at hotel occupancies across Metro Manila, the occupancy that we recorded was sub-30%. And uh, we do not see occupancies uh, breaching the 50-60% mark that we saw pre-pandemic over the next, what, 12 to 18 months, even IATA, the National Air Travel Association, uh, saying that will probably take, what, 24, 36 more months for global travel to return to pre-pandemic level. 
Of course, you also have retail, which is, again, another segment severely affected by the uh, pandemic. So you have consumer traffic down 50, 60% compared to what we recorded pre-pandemic. Mall operators cutting rates. In fact, they are no longer charging fixed uh, rate. They're only charging a percentage of their sales just to maintain a healthy level of occupancy within their malls and to keep their uh, tenants, especially those from food and beverage, which account for about, what, 50-60% of mall tenants here in uh, the Philippines. And then you have office segment. In 2020, lease rates dropped by about 17%. That's the average in Metro Manila. But there are even some locations, sub-districts in Metro Manila where we saw vacant uh, lease rates rather dropping by between 20-30%. So you have the likes of Wittiga Center, the Bay Area. You have to note that Pogos used to drive office space demand in Metro Manila. They co- used to cover what? 11% of total leasable office space here in Metro Manila. Now that, that is down to 6%. They used to occupy about 1.2% million square meters of office space. That's big. That is down to about 750,000 square meters of office space. Yes. And so imagine the 50, more than 550,000 square meters of office space that that they have vacated so far. And then you have uh, residential. In residential, we are also seeing a drop in take-up or sales in the pre-selling market. Note also that residential is another segment that relies on POGO demand. In 2018, 2019, that was a peak period for the pre-selling market in Metro Manila. In 2018, sales peaked at about 58,000 units in the pre-selling market. That is the highest. But in 2020, that dropped only 36,000. So imagine that significant drop in number of condominium units bought in the pre-selling market. And first half of 2021, only about 10,000 units being taken up in the market were unlikely to breach the 36,000 units sold in 2020, which already is a uh, lower figure. So basically, those are you know just a few indicators of how the property segment performed and dissecting by every sector. But one segment that has shown relative stability during this pandemic is industrial sector. Right. So you have the demand for warehouses, for standard factory buildings built to suit facilities that continue to really a record stable take up. You have the Philippines, Metro Manila, practically in a lockdown or practically a lockdown economy at this point. And yeah. we're, we're relying on heavily on online shopping, online groceries. We have seen the proliferation of online payment schemes, the platforms, the likes of Gcash, Paymaya. And uh, these all support the growth in the industrial sector. And one seg- sub-segment of industrial that will likely grow moving forward is, of course, the cold storage sector. Very interesting, very interesting. So we will discuss all of those sectors in a bit, right? I would like to talk about or ask first regarding residential. So I think you you mentioned quite a background Mm. on that one. Let me discuss a bit on what I have. So for example, according to the BSP, residential property prices in the second quarter contracted at its steepest rate 
since 2016. So of course, you mentioned continued decline in prices of condo units, single houses amid the prolonged pandemic. On the other hand, there's this total condominium stock in Metro Manila CBD's central business district rose by a modest 2.6 percent. You know, compared to a year earlier. So that's a it's still a growth, but it's a deceleration compared to a 9.4 increase in 2019 and 11% in 2018. So of course, due to the pandemic, only about 3,000 units were completed in 2020, down from 11,200 completions in 2019. So of course, restrictions are easing. So the construction of condominium projects that were previously halted resumed and supplies expected to rise strongly again sometime this year, probably, especially next year. But I would like to ask now, specifically, what's your outlook on the residential market, specifically property prices and supply in the latter part of this year, even until next year, if you have. So go ahead. Okay, let me briefly touch on the supply, which you also mentioned. Because of the pandemic, the lockdown, and the strict implementation of measures, physical distancing measures within construction sites, the supply or the delivery of uh, new condominiums in 2020 really dropped. So that's only about 3,300. But what's positive for the market for 2021 is that the completion is likely to pick up. So we're projecting about 10,000 new condominium units that will be completed this year. So that's more than triple the completion back in 2020. So that's good news. And we believe that developers continue to line up projects and launch a lot of residential units, not just within major business districts, but also in the fringe areas, the peripheral areas, Manila South, Manila North, fringe of Makati, fringe of Ortigas. But again, the demand has also been affected. So we are projecting demand likely to still slow down for the remainder of 2021. But we are projecting a recovery, some sort of recovery starting latter half of 2022. And uh, that will likely hinge on our projected recovery of office leasing as well. So developers continue to highlight the advantages of living in a condominium within a central business district. We have to note that some workers, of course, went back to their respective provinces, and that has resulted in a higher vacancy in the secondary market, meaning the market for condominiums where units are for sale or for lease. So that's about 17.6% in 2021, second quarter of the year, much higher compared to the 14-15% vacancy that we recorded back in 2020. So Again, the uh, prices corrected in 2020 still see some correction, about 10, between 10 to 15 percent for 2021 before a slow recovery, ranging from about 2 to 5 percent by 2022. Rents are still dropping, but the uh, drop has uh, somehow been arrested, meaning previously rents would drop at about 10, 20 percent. That has somehow slowed, and we uh, project the, again a slow recovery by the latter half of 2022. That's for the secondary market. For the pre-selling market, again, we do not see a substantial recovery for the remainder of the year. First six months of 2021, only 10,000 units 
were taken up in this market or that were in which covers condominium units that are still being marketed and uh, constructed. So, so far, that's, you know, what we see in the condominium market in, in Metro Manila. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you for that, uh, Joey. Actually, this is a, it's a good discussion because, the, of course, now we are part of the equity, you know, equity business. But this discussion is also for, for those who are planning to, you know, create some strategy in terms of when to buy, move properties moving forward, right? So that's for residential. I would like to discuss the office space. Okay. okay for the office space, so again, just to provide a, a brief background. So for example, in the fourth quarter of 2020, the supply of office space in Metro Manila, total 739,000 square meters while available supply amounts to 313,533 square meters, which means 53% of all office spaces in Metro Manila remain leased. Of course, you, you can correct me if you have another data. What I have is 3 million square meters of office space supply are presently in the Metro Manila pipeline. So the average rent of these spaces stands at 1,190 per square meters. And BPOs lead the demand drive for office space in Metro Manila, representing approximately 41%. So the gaming demand drive is around 16%, while other industries comprise about 43% of Metro Manila office space demand drive. So the BPO industry reported FTE growth of 5.3% from 2016 to 2018 and projects 6.7% FTE growth for the period 2019 until next year. So in 2020, recorded take-up of office space by BPOs was 143,000 square meters and total revenue was 26 billion US dollars. So of course, the data I'm mentioning is around fourth quarter of 2020. And I think you mentioned earlier some data that you have that are much more, you know, updated. But but my question is, what is your outlook in the office space, especially with the government, you know, planning to tax the, the POGOs? Will there be a significant exit from the said clients? You mentioned already earlier some percentages regarding how much uh, POGOs have, you know, left to other countries with probably, you know, less stricter regulations. Yeah, let me repeat the question. Will there be a significant or more exit from these Bogos. If yes, who will pick up the slack and will that be enough? Well, unfortunately, Royce, even if the government tries to clarify its tax rules on the Bogos and to overall have a more accommodating regulatory environment because President Duterte himself said that he wants to welcome more POGOs to the country because he wants the government to generate more tax revenues, right? To finance the government's social amelioration programs during this pandemic. But unfortunately, we do not see a return of these POGOs, especially in the near term, because even PACOR announced that these POGOs have been transferring to Cambodia, to Vietnam, to Laos. Some are even looking at Dubai. They're likely to return to the Philippines and we're projecting more office spaces to be vacated by these offshore gaming companies, the Pogos. As I mentioned, they already vacated 550,000 square meters of office space, their total footprint dropping from 11% to 6% of total leasable space here in the Philippines. And that has, you know, overall resulted, contributed to higher vacancy in Metro Manila as of second quarter of 2021, 12.5%. That's the office of vacancy in Metro Manila. Imagine in 2020, that was only about 9 
0.5%. And uh, we are even projecting vacancy for 2021 to reach about 15.6%. Well, that's our projection, meaning more companies are likely to vacate office space. Now, you have to note that it's not just POGOs that have been rationalizing office space requirements or vacating office spaces. Even the BPOs, the offshore gaming companies have been rationalizing, minimizing office footprint. They have been implementing uh, split operations. So 50% of their staff working from home, 50% are uh, working um, on site. And that is uh, likely to be the trend 12 to uh, 18 months from now. And perhaps some are even saying that this hybrid model of working will be part of the better and the newer normal what we have been seeing is that while some POGOs are, I mean, BPOs rather, still occupying office space in, in Metro Manila, that is not enough to cover the office spaces vacated by POGOs. 550,000, that is substantial. You know, just to give you an idea, during a peak year, this was 2018. About 1 million square meters of office space was occupied here in Metro Manila. And about a third of that was covered by POGOs. A third was covered by BPO. So that would translate to only about, what, 300, 350,000 square meters. Imagine even during the peak of office leasing here in Metro Manila, 350,000 square meters, that was that won't even be enough to cover the office space is vacated already by these uh, Pogo companies, the offshore gaming uh, firms. So definitely because of this trend that we're seeing in the market, we're likely to see Metro Manila vacancies still rising and office uh, lease rates also correcting uh, before uh, some uh, form of recovery in 2022. Right. Okay. That's a very clear uh, outlook uh, regarding the office space. So you yep. still expect at least it to rise to 15% by the end of this year. That is correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, for the hotel segment, I think this is what you mentioned earlier that's quite, you know, going to lag in terms of recovery. Mm. So for this segment, of course, the huge catalyst here is tourism, especially in notable places like you know, Boracay, Palawan, and the like. And the recovery process will, will definitely be hinged on the quarantine protocol. So my question is, what are you seeing in this space? Will the recovery... Oh, yeah, I think you mentioned that the recovery will lag, but uh, do you have any specific timeline as how much they will lag? And is there a bright side that you're seeing right now or moving forward? Yeah, let me start with the bright side. We believe that local and domestic tourism will, will somehow pick up the slack left by the subdued demand for a global travel for international travel. As I mentioned earlier, IATA, International Air Travel Association, saying that global air travel will probably return to pre-pandemic level by latter part of 2023 or by 2024. Of course, so we know what happened to FAL and it's a chapter 11 filing in the United States. And even the panel is saying that it might take a few more years before international travel rebounds to pre-pandemic level. So I think what we have been seeing and using a few indicators, um, hotel occupancy uh, dropping to 24% in the, the first half of 2000. 
2021 slower compared to pre-pandemic levels of between 60 to 70% that we have been seeing in Metro Manila. Of course, you have less foreign travelers, less business travels, even the MICE facilities, meetings, incentives, conferences, and exhibitions are suffering because most of the events right now are held via Zoom, similar to what we are having right now. You know, what we might see in the future is that there could be a hybrid implementation of conferences, right? I think we're already seeing now, especially with the start of campaign season. So you have political parties holding their conferences. So 50% of their members are tuning in via Zoom, 50% are on-site. But again, if we stick to that 50% utilization of MICE facilities, and if that persists, then definitely hotel uh, operators will see a very long road to a recovery. When we had our informal survey during our last briefing, majority of our respondents, about 60% said that they are rearing to visit Burahay and uh, Palawan. So number one, this is a good sign that Filipinos are likely to spur uh, domestic travel first. And also, number two, a good sign that Filipinos are raring to, to go to beaches and spend based on latest data from Philippine Statistics Authority, hotel and the leisure spending is down 44%. So you know that only indicates that Filipinos are skimping on the leisure-related uh, spending. So that will severely affect, again, the uh, recovery of the local leisure market here in the Philippines. But hopefully, as local governments start to relax restrictions, they will be, you know, uh, welcoming more local and domestic tourists. And hopefully, that uh, jump starts the recovery of this leisure and tourism sector. Yeah, very good insight. So, of course, right now, one of the, you know, more battered subsectors in the property, but, you know, what, probably one of the subsectors that has the most upside. But yeah, so thank you for mentioning, you know, in terms of the specific outlook, in terms of timeline. So I would like to yes. discuss this subsector, which is probably the outperformer, the industrials, right? Yes. So I actually read your report that was released last Feb, and you mentioned that, correct me if I'm wrong, you mentioned that you recorded a total of 22 hectares mm. of new industrial supply in 2020. So more than 90% of supply during that period came from Cavite with the rest in Laguna. For the rest of the year, here's the question. For the rest of the year, what's your outlook on the take-up? Is there still accelerating demand driven by e-commerce or you're still seeing growth but decelerating? And what do you recommend developers to fully take advantage of the said demand? So go ahead. Definitely, we still see signs of recovery or even uptick for the industrial sector. Warehouse lease rates are still rising by about 5 to 7% and even growing at a much faster pace compared to land leasehold rates of about 4 to 5%. An indicator of continued growth from the warehouse segment is that developers, even the traditional ones, the major ones, continue to invest in 
in the standard factory buildings and the industrial facilities. You have the likes of Ayala Land investing in built-to-suit facilities or cold storage uh, assets. You have Phil Invest Double Dragon modernizing uh, warehouses and even planning to use part of its REIT proceeds to further expand its industrial footprint. And we continue to see these developers expanding their industrial park developments in the northern, central Luzon, as well as southern Luzon areas of Cavite, Laguna, Batangas, which is your traditional industrial corridor or hub here in the Philippines. But we see promising developments in Pampanga as well as you have the new Clark City, you have Philinvest, massive industrial development in the area. And this even extends to Tarlac. New Clark City, essentially part of Kapas in Tarlac, right? And there are even some locators that plan to expand in Bataan as well as Pangasinan. Over the past couple of months, we have received queries from companies planning to occupy warehouses in northern Metro Manila. So these are the areas of Caloocan, Malabon, Navotas, and even parts of Bulacan. I think a lot of people are setting their sights on Bulacan. Number one, because of the infrastructure network likely to be developed in the province. Megaworld planning, it's a massive township in the area. And of course, the banking on the fact that Bulacan will house the new mega international airport. The MRT-7 is likely to be completed by 2022 Bukhawe bypass a toll road. So a lot of uh, projects in uh, the area and uh, really Bulacan is one province that developers are really looking at uh, this point and they've been really implementing strategic land banking in, in the province. So Overall, we, we see a very good prospects still from the industrial sector. And as I uh, mentioned briefly earlier, Rice, the demand for cold storage facilities. In fact, that Colors Philippines, we noted that we are hot on cold storage. Number one, because of the lack of facilities that we have. We saw how pork prices jumped because of lack of supply. And when the government wanted to import more, it only highlighted the need for more cold storage facilities. But one other requirement that we have at this point that will further void the demand for cold storage facilities is the need to really stock up on the COVID-19 vaccines, right? So with people perhaps needing a third dose of vaccine, it only means that we will probably see a greater demand for this vaccines even after the country achieves herd immunity or population protection. So still a lot of potential for the industrial sector and there are sub-segments that I would say are really growing at a uh, very good pace at this point that will probably lead the acceleration of the industrial segment beyond 2021 and uh, even beyond uh, 2022. That's right. That's right. It's a good thing you mentioned cold storage because you know, there's actually listed companies that are trying to venture yep. to cold storage facilities. You know, they think that their recent acquisition or venture into cold storage is value adding because I think besides the COVID-19 vaccine storage that you mentioned, 
restaurants will likely shift see a shift in dining formats with less dine-in options. So that would require cold storage capacity. So yep. so yeah, it's a good thing you mentioned. So industrial sector, the outperforming subsector, and poised to grow further. So one last question we have for you, Joey. Of course, this is uh, some got in the interest of a lot of our clients. So for our investors out there, what's your general take on investing on REITs? So how beneficial is it to invest on the set asset? Of course, you mentioned probably on the residential question on the trend and the like. But for example, for those especially young investors out there who can probably only afford to invest a little in the market. And one way is by investing in REITs. They're very interested on, on your take on how beneficial is it to invest on the said asset. So what's your take? Well, let me repeat first what the government highlighted when they were about to implement the REITs or enact the law. They wanted to democratize wealth in the local economy. And uh, of course, they want to spread that to other sectors. And one of the segments that really benefited is the property sector. And of course, you have you know, individual investors who do not have substantial capital to, say, acquire an office building or a floor of office space, which they can eventually lease out or any other recurring income generating uh, assets such as a school, a hotel, or a hospital, or even a toll road or an infrastructure project. So now they have the opportunity to invest in a physical asset in an office uh, building without uh, having to shell out what millions, billions of pesos. So that somehow supports the government's earlier claim of uh, democratizing wealth in the economy in the property sector. So it benefits not just the institutional investors, but also the individual retail investors and yields ranging from about 5 to 7%. So that's a pretty good yield for an investment. And we believe that uh, REITs will continue to be attractive, especially with a lot of uh, developers aggressively tapping REIT to diversify, to acquire more properties, expand industrial and office footprint, and even land bank outside of uh, Metro Manila. So definitely a lot of uh, developers are expected to further invest, and that should result in the development of other sectors, such as the construction segment, which has uh, substantial benefits, uh, multiplier effects to the um, economy. So it is really something that you know will, will benefit the economy as a whole, but uh, most especially the uh, property um, segment here in the Philippines. Right. So thank you. Thank you for uh, that explanation why REIT is beneficial, especially for yep. the, the younger investors out there. So That's correct. Thank you, Joey, for explaining to us your outlook on the different subsectors of the property sector. So do you have any last remarks for our investors out there? Yeah, sure. Well, our favorite phrase is that we are seeing green shoots of recovery for the economy and the uh, Philippine property market. And as I mentioned, we're already seeing prospects of growth for the office as well as uh, residential market 
but we believe that the Philippine property market still has you know, solid legs to stand on remittances being sent in by Filipinos working abroad continue to grow. In fact, our projection or the central bank's projection is that OFW remittances will grow by 4% this year and a certain segment of the residential market is being driven by this money being sent in annually by Filipinos working abroad. Mortgage rates remain very competitive Six to eight percent, unlike the 2022 percent that we saw during the Asian financial crisis, developers are giving flexible, attractive payment terms. So that should also contribute to a healthy take up in the residential market. The BPO sector will continue to be resilient, and with the economies such as UK and US recovering, that hopefully will result in further outsourcing of activities from. BPO hubs such as the Philippines, and hopefully that results in the absorption of more office space here in uh, Metro Manila. So uh, a different growth prospect for every different uh, property market, but we believe that uh, with greater inoculation program and the government's projection of a faster economic growth of 4 to 6% this year, all these factors complemented by the government's infrastructure implementation push will uh, help the property market revive and recover beyond this COVID-19 pandemic. All right. So thank you. That's Joey Bondock, Associate Research Director from Colliers Philippines. So thank you. Thank you, Royce. Thank you. So this has been Royce Aguilar, Equity Research Analyst from First Meta Securities. So as always, in First Meta Securities, it's hashtag your future first. So thank you. Thanks for listening to First Metro Securities Philippine Stock Market Weekly Podcast. Don't forget to follow us to get first dibs on our new episodes. For more up-to-date market news and info, exclusive content, and the opportunity to connect with your fellow Filipino investors and traders, join facebook.com slash groups slash First Metro Sec and be part of the First Metro Sec family. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.